John Adams said that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Over time, the meaning of those words has been lost to a much shallower understanding of what he was saying, which in turn was once clearly understood by enlightened people, and found its genesis in an idea from the Midrashic era when a famous rabbi sent two of his students out to ask the leaders of a town, show us the guardians of your city. Like John Adams, they had a deeper understanding that liberty without faith is dead. This is Plausibly Live. There is a concept that I came across some weeks ago. An idea that I think, for me, has great merit. And this idea says very simply that traditions are lessons learned. In other words, they are the cumulative knowledge of trial and error over time that have led us to doing things in a way that protects us from ourselves. And in the undoing of traditions, we have to relearn the lessons again, tends to be what happens. When you look at things today, I often wonder about old knowledge versus new knowledge the availability of knowledge. I live in a time when there has never been the availability of knowledge that there is today. I'm 60 years old. Well, I will be next month. Um, And the incredible amount of information available to me in the last 10 years versus the first 50 years of my life, I, I wish in many ways that I could start over because there is so much out there now and I'm learning in ways that I never thought I would. It's amazing to me, but the more information we have, the less corporately, not you individually, corporately, the more information we have, the less we seem to actually understand it. And consequently, we reject the traditions and the traditional interpretations of things, and we have to learn the lessons all over again. Our forefathers, our grandparents, had better understandings of what they what they knew. I think that's true. We may know more than they did, but they understood it, and sometimes I wonder if we do. Whenever I start talking religion, whenever I start getting into that, invariably someone will bring up the the John Adams quote, the famous John Adams quote. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate, or inadequate to the way I've spelled it there, to the government of any other. We are going to go there today, folks. We are going to go to... Religion, faith, morality, and we're going to talk about some of those things. Now, I want to put some caveats on this. Number one, I don't care what you believe. I I really don't. It's not that I think that you're wrong. It's not that I'm absolutely certain that I'm right. What I believe is that God speaks to every person in a different way and draws them to him 
in the way that most connects them to the being that is God. I do not require that you believe what I believe in my faith, nor do I expect you to require me to believe what you believe. If you do, we probably don't have much conversation. I would not expect anyone to have to go through my path, the path that I took to where I am religiously. And my faith was difficult. It was very long, nigh on to 30 years. It separated me from friends, family, some cases. And it has taught me many things. The one thing that it has taught me in most recent years is that I had to stop focusing on being physically Jewish. It's a strange thing to say, and, and maybe it'll make more sense towards the end of this, but sometimes we concentrate so much on being physically what we say we are to manifest that in, in our day-to-day lives that we forget that there's a spiritual side of things. And the last probably two years of my life have focused more on that spiritual side of things. And I've learned more about my faith, my faith journey, my 60 years of faith journey in the last two years than I learned in all the years combined before. And again, for those of you who are not keeping up, I am a former pastor. I am the son of a pastor, parents. I am the brother of a pastor. I am the cousin of a pastor. I am the nephew of a pastor. I am the grandson of lay leaders my family for four, now five generations, has been involved with the faith of my youth, the Salvation Army, and believes it fervently. For whatever reason, I was chosen not to. I tried it, followed it as far as I could, and when it didn't lead me where I was trying to go, where I felt drawn to go, I had to find another way. I don't expect you to believe that. I don't demand that you believe what I believe. What I express to you is that spirituality is more than more than just accepting certain things at face value. That said, there are some things that I do expect. Number one is the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That is from the First Amendment, ratified in 1791. Now, there's two parts to that, and I want you to keep that in mind. If you're making notes, make a little note. No law respecting an establishment of religion and no law prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We're going to come back to that. The second thing I believe, of course, is the, the Danbury letter, which uh, in, in which Thomas Jefferson explained that there is a wall of separation between church and state. Now, this offends many people. It's not in the Constitution, Dave. Why does the Supreme Court? Because the concept is there, and the concept is found in that First Amendment, no establishment of religion. Separation of church and state and the establishment do not mean you cannot have religion. It doesn't even mean you can't have religion in government. What it means is you cannot have a church-run state. This was something that the framers and the founders feared greatly. 
because they had grown up with it. They had grown up with the idea that if you didn't belong to a certain church, you were less citizen. Unless you think that this was something unusual or something that was, you know, somehow or another, I don't know, not normal or ancient. It wasn't that long ago. In 1960, as a matter of fact, when John F. Kennedy, running for president of the United States, had to stop his campaign in September of 1960 to give a speech to the Houston Ministerial Association, I personally think it's his best speech, in which he was compelled to defend his faith and the idea that as a Roman Catholic, he would not be driven by the Pope to run the United States government if elected. He said, and I quote, I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, how to act, and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote, where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference, and where no man is denied public office merely because his religion differs from the president who might appoint him or the people who might elect him. You can go back a few years. As I said, I grew up in the Salvation Army. The whole reason there is a Salvation Army, for those of you who may not be aware of this, was that William Booth had a, he was the founder of the Salvation Army, the first general, had a real problem with the fact that the Church of England had such a stranglehold on religion in England in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s. And he found that the more he preached his word, the word, the more people he led to to God, the more the Church of England just rejected them. And so he set out on his own and formed the Salvation Army. I also grew up in Utah. My parents were the Corps officers in Ogden, Utah. And I grew up at a time in Utah when well, the state was dominated by a faith. And even the Salt Lake Tribune in recent days has noted that that particular church is overrepresented in Utah's legislature, holding nine out of every 10 seats. Even the state's leading newspaper has begun to recognize that that's a problem. And these are the things that, that Jefferson was talking about when he wrote his Danbury letter saying, there is a wall of separation between the church and the state. And when he said church, he meant any church, any particular organized religion should not be part of the state. It's, it, it frustrates people, like I said, because people get mad about it. Well, dude, it's not in the Constitution. I know it's not in the Constitution. But I also know that the Establishment Clause was about a church, not a faith. And your faith is not your church. It is not your synagogue. It is not your mosque. It is not your ashram. It is not your whatever. Your faith is between you and God. Your religion is influential, but it is not the be-all, end-all of that. And it should not, in any shape, as Kennedy said, be dictating how the government of the United States or the government of your state should function. I was sitting in Torah class last night, and the story came 
about Rabbi Yehuda. Now, Rabbi Yehuda is a very influential Jewish scholar. He is responsible for what we call the Mishnah, which is the, the foundation for the Gemara, which is the foundation for the Talmud. The idea here was to take the entirety of the oral law and write it down. I know, it's, it, it's complicated. It, it seems strange, but uh, it, it needed to be written down so that it would not be forgotten, so that it could be taught. Rabbi Yehuda was very, very strong. He was a very powerful man, a very popular political leader at the time that he lived in the, in the era of the Roman Empire. He was so influential that he would regularly send his students out to other local Jewish cities. He, he lived in Tiberias, uh, Israel, which is a beautiful place if you've ever been there. And Yehuda would send his students to various cities throughout the thing, throughout the, the country. And in doing so, they would walk into the city. And in this particular case, two rabbis did. And they said to the local leaders there, show us the guardians of your city. And so the two rabbis were taken to the police barracks or the, the soldiers barracks, whatever you want to call it. And they were introduced to the soldiers who were responsible for policing and protecting the city. And Rabbi Asi, we are told, exclaimed, these are not the protectors of your city. These are the destroyers of your city. Now, before you jump on it, it's a, it's a difficult word to translate. These are the destroyers of your city. It doesn't mean the people. It didn't mean these men are the destroyers of your city. There's a deeper contextual meaning to it, which actually ties into something that I've been saying for many years about the way we do policing. It's, he's talking about the concept, the concept that you're relying on this physical, moral imperative is the problem. That's what's going to destroy your city. And in fact, the true guardians of the city, Rabbi Asai went on to say, are the teachers who are teaching the people, the children, so forth and so on, to understand, to inculcate them with the values, the traditions, the understandings, and the morals that result from those understandings, these are the people who are actually guarding your city, not those people. What do we actually need? More police or more teaching? Do we need more judges or more understanding of the basic ideas that we are given. In Shoftim, Parashah, Shoftim, the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people, you shall appoint magistrates and officials for your tribes in all the settlements that God is giving you, and they shall govern the people with due justice. Well, how do we get those judges who will govern the people with due justice? How do we make sure that that's the case. Well, to borrow a phrase, you train up a child in the way he shall go, or she shall go, and they will not depart from it. There is an idea here that percolated through my mind that went 
it's very difficult for me sometimes to sit through to our class because I'm so busy taking notes. You should see the notes I take. And my brain is going 100 miles an hour, and I'm trying to listen to the rabbi, and I'm trying to listen to other people talk, and I'm at the same time, I'm trying to apply things, which is exactly what the whole point of this episode is about. My faith does not control those things which I have power over. If I were, if I were the governor of the state of Washington, I would not dictate that everyone has to take Shabbat off. But it does influence my thinking and the way I live my life and the way that I develop my political thinking. I would take Shabbat off. And maybe in doing so, I set an example. I inculcate values and traditions. You understand what I'm saying here? There is a moral and religious element here. That's what Adams was saying. Holy for a moral and religious people. There are two elements here that we have to talk about. The moral element is a physical side of things. It is a physical understanding of how we do things. It's the soldiers in the barracks. These are not the guardians of your city. They enforce certain things. But if you are raised up and trained up right, and if you are inculcated with the proper ideas and values, do you need more police, soldiers, or less? If you focus only on the physical, the moral side of things, if you will, the city is going to be destroyed because what ends up happening is you require more and more force to enforce what it is that you have said are your moralities, your values, whatever those might be, as defined by whoever's in power, which, if they happen to have bad ideas, are going to be bad ways of doing things. And we've seen, of course, in history, those ideas. The stormtroopers, the Soviet Czechist, and even to a degree, and I don't want to make this political, but even to a degree, our own times. We require more and more policing because we have less and less moral value. We have less and less inculcation of those ideas. Eventually, you get to a point where what the framers and the founders of this nation particularly feared the most is an idea known as the Star Chamber, which is where justice is no longer due, it's no longer due justice, it's no longer proper justice, it's no longer justice at all. In fact, what it is, is tyranny. What it is, is the absolute authority of the state inflicting its decisions upon people in, in secret. But if we ensure that the teaching of our values and our faiths are inculcated into the next generations, we have less force needed to enforce the morality that we have. If we don't, then more more, more force is needed to enforce that morality, which then lacks definition, and nature abhors a vacuum. And a vacuum will lead to tyranny. Examples of which, by the way, flow from the very beginning of time. We have countless examples of the, 
that happening to people over and over again. I'm going to say this. You may not like it. I don't really care. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Rastafarian, agnostic, atheist, because even agnostics and atheists have a religious connotation to it, a a belief system that inculcates their values, their morality. Buddhist, it doesn't matter if you're Confucius, and it certainly doesn't matter if you're Catholic or Protestant. Liberty, which is what we were given by, by our framers, requires faith to complete the circle, to complete the learning that we need in order to have both a moral and religious people. Liberty requires that faith. It requires both sides of it. And ultimately, it requires us to understand that, to understand what Adams was saying. We got to have both, or we're going to have neither, which is what I wrote in my notes last night. Very simply this. Liberty without faith is dead.